I knew that I wasn't going to be, at least immediately, the best, highest quality craftsman out there because I just didn't have the experience. But because of my background in marketing and branding, I knew that I could at least look the best. And I knew I could do that from day one. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Dennis Turbyville, owner of the Washington, D.C.-based furniture company, Austin Morris. Dennis returned to his childhood passions of building, bringing with him his grown-up passion for the world of design, combining both into the well-groomed furniture company we all see today. But how did he get there? How did he make the jump from corporate life to furniture making? In this episode, Dennis talks through how he made the switch, not only the physical switch of changing his profession and everything that goes along with that, but how he made the emotional switch to start something new. Follow along as we talk about building your brand strategy, spending time alone, who to give your phone number to, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Dennis's story in his own words. My creative journey really started when I was a kid. I was always making things, being creative. Um, I was crazy about Legos. I was watching a lot of This Old House and Bob Vila and Norm Abrams. Um, those are actually some of my earliest, you know, television memories is, is not even cartoons, but watching Norm Abrams in, his, in the Yankee workshop. Um, and at my house, I was lucky enough to have a small workroom where my dad had a you know, decent collection of tools. And I would mess around and I would cut wood and I would, you know, make little things for myself and um, just kind of play around in there. And I, I really got hooked. And I remember the the first one of the first things I bought with my own money when I was uh, I was certainly under the age of 10 was a jigsaw from Sears. And I, I still own that jigsaw. And um, I, I love keeping it around because it, it reminds me that I that this is real, that I, that I'm doing the right thing, that this has always been a part of me. Um, but from there, I, I kind of fell out of it, you know, going through my teen years, I, I wasn't making stuff. And even in college, I wasn't really making stuff. But as I got a little older, and um, was able to have a little bit of space of my own and, and buy tools of my own, I started to, to get the itch again and, and set up a shop in my house. Um, and was able to start kind of really building stuff and doing home renovation projects and stuff like that. And, you know, like a lot of other kind of furniture makers, I started making stuff for myself and then friends started, friends and family were asking for stuff and it kind of spawned out of that. It I did kind of come to this a little bit later because I did have, after college, I worked for about 15 years in um, graphic design, branding, marketing, and kind of came back to it. I've always had a fascination with with furniture. I haven't been a furniture designer for my whole life, but I have been a designer for a long time. Going from the big career that you had where you were dealing with clients all the time, you were you were working with multiple different people on a project to becoming a solo woodworker. Now you have employees, but for a while you were a solo woodworker when you were starting your furniture company. How was that that solitude 
going from the world of big business to the world of being by yourself? How did you deal with that mentally and physically to keep yourself on a schedule to get things done and also keep your your head up on days where you might not have talked to another human being for the entire day while you were working? So I think that's such a good question. I when I when I started the business, the last thing in my mind was my mental health. You don't think about how it's going to affect you. You don't think about um, not just the solitude, but you're putting yourself in a really vulnerable position. And that definitely affects your mental health. And for me, going from a well-paying job where I worked, you know, in a, in a hip office downtown with a bunch of employees or a bunch of coworkers to basically starting in my basement and then renting some guy's garage and being dusty and dirty all day and sore and tired and barely making any money wondering what the hell I'm doing your entire identity shifts because I up until then I was a guy who was a graph you know went to school for graphic design got into marketing and branding and that was me that was Dennis and my entire identity shifted almost overnight and that was really I don't want to say like painful or anything like that but it was a real shock um, so I think it's definitely something you have to think about how it's going to impact your mental health. And, you know, everybody says you, you really got to love this to do it, but it's it's true. You really got to love it if you want to do it, because you're not going to be able to get through days where you are, you know, making three trips to Home Depot and you're wondering, why am I wasting all this time? I've been here twice today. I'm not getting anything done at the shop. I'm not going to make any money. I'm, you know there's a lot of hard days like that early on. And um, that's something that you definitely need to prepare for in terms of working alone. That I mean, I sort of enjoyed it. I I think that as I've gotten a little older, I've become a little more introverted. Um, I listen to a ton of podcasts, tons of music. Um, there's so many great podcasts, including yours that I discovered when I started the business that, you know, really taught me a lot about woodworking and running a business. I listen to not just woodworking podcasts, but general like business management podcasts and, and stuff like that to kind of keep me focused as well as to be completely honest, I listen to like mental health podcasts. I listened to um, a podcast all about stoicism and really got into that and going real deep into it. I even quit drinking. I was listening to podcasts that helped me quit drinking. And there's, there's just a lot of lifestyle changes that come with with starting a business by yourself and and not really having the support of anybody else directly. Of course, I have my wife is amazing and my friends are amazing, but at the end of the day, it's all you. There's nobody you can call when something goes wrong and you got to be able and prepared to deal with it. I want to talk about how you are getting your clients. I noticed on your website something that really stood out, your your contact page, you have a section for pricing and your pricing starts at $4,000 and goes up from there. So you're obviously being selective in the clients that you take on, but you're also getting a lot of work. So how did you find that sweet spot of being able to 
get the clients that you want? Yeah, no, great question. So um, I think it's really important to think about how you structure your business and how you how you want your business to look five years from when you start it and not just think about what it looks like when you start it, right? And I always knew that I wanted to be a fairly high-end furniture brand. And that was always the goal. And I knew that I kind of had this vision of what I wanted to be, you know, this this goal, right? And I kind of worked backwards from there. And I said, to, I sort of said to myself, like, how am I going to go from, I, the first table I sold was like $600. What I did was first like some market research before I even decided to go into this. I reached out to other local furniture makers in the area and I just wanted to meet them. I just wanted to kind of interview them, grab coffee. Uh, I was pretty upfront. I said, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this maybe as a full-time thing, maybe as a part-time thing. And, you know, I just kind of want to network. And that was really valuable because one, I, I got to meet people who I still communicate with regularly and it's, you know, uh, a small group of of furniture makers here in the area. And the other thing I learned is there's just not that many in this area. So I knew that I would be entering a market that had a lot of uh, room for growth. DC has about the DC area where I'm at has about roughly 7 million people. And there's probably, I'm not joking, there's probably five or six full-time furniture makers around here. So there's a lot of people that do it maybe part-time or like for friends and family, but people who who do it full-time, commit to it, you know, clock in every day. There's very few of us. So I saw that as an opportunity. Um, the other thing I did, knowing that I wanted to be kind of a high-end brand, was I knew that I wasn't going to be, at least immediately, the best, highest quality craftsman out there because I just didn't have the experience. But because of my background in marketing and branding, I knew that I could at least look the best. And I knew I could do that from day one because I know from, again, from my past careers that that was the hardest thing to change. It's going to be really hard to change pricing and it's going to be really hard to shift my image once I've established it. So I worked really hard uh, when I set up the business to make sure that I had a, a brand strategy that paid close attention to where, what my goals were. I actually never wrote a business plan. I didn't even know how to. I still don't know how to. But I did write a brand strategy plan and brand messaging because I knew that was going to be really important. And so far, it's worked out really well. I know that I'm consistently on brand when I talk to customers. I know my website has a consistent messaging. I know that um, my social media and all that stuff is consistent and um, kind of has that that same high-end feeling so that uh, people aren't surprised when they see that my minimum order size is like $4,000. Can you walk us through your brand strategy and and what that looks like? Because I think a lot of people focus on the big things like customer service and pricing and shipping and that part of the business, but they might view a brand strategy and the way their company looks to the public as kind of a secondary thing and something that they'll grow into once they build their portfolio and once they get their clients. But as somebody who started from the first step with that in mind, talk about what it actually looks like to build out a brand strategy and then how you consistently follow that. 
So brand strategy can mean a lot of different things, but at its core, it's your mission, your vision, your brand promise, your about, your values and value propositions and persona. And so, for example, your mission is basically what you hope to do and how you're going to do it is, you know, that's all your mission. Your vision is kind of like, what it is when it's when you're done. So like, how does it all kind of manifest itself? Your brand promise, this is what you're promising your customers with every interaction you make. This is what you promise with the furniture you're creating. It doesn't have to be real specific. In fact, mine is pretty generic, but it's mine is a better every day. But that just means that every interaction I have, whether it's a, a digital interaction or a physical interaction or, or whatever, I'm going to do my best to to make my customers feel good and I'm going to make sure I'm delivering pieces that enhance their lives and make give them a better every day. So those things sort of help guide you. Your about is just kind of your story uh, and your values are really what what guide your your decision making throughout your business building and your growth. So your values are kind of what you stand for and my values are curiosity, integrity, inner peace, and family. So those are really helpful because when you're making a business decision, you can look at your values and say, is this going to align with my values or is this going to rub up against my values? And if it aligns with your values, there's a pretty darn good chance that it's going to be a net positive for your business. But if it's something like, for instance, one of my values is integrity. If I'm going to do something that you know, rubs up against integrity, maybe I'm going to try and, you know, gouge somebody on price or whatever. I'm not going to be able to sleep well at night. And I know that I'm going to have a negative experience and probably the customer too, and it's going to show. So your values are what you live by. Um, your value proposition is you have an overarching one and then you have supporting ones. So uh, in my example, my value proposition is high cost, high quality custom furniture made with head and heart. And the way that I do that is my supporting propositions with meaning I use really high quality materials, um, traditional and modern joinery techniques and exceptional customer service. And lastly, your persona. So your persona is, is really like how somebody experiences your brand. So I am, my persona is dedicated, but not rigid, helpful, but not coddling, inclusive, but not decisive. And there's more, but it's basically how you come across and, and I want to be helpful, but I don't want to be coddling, right? I don't want people to feel um, like I'm talking down to them. So as long as you write these things down and you start to live by them, you, you start to generate your brand naturally in a way that ends up being very cohesive to all the interactions you have, which in turn builds trust with your customers and helps them also be your ambassadors because they know how to talk about you. If you're living your brand, then your customers can more easily live it for you as well and your employees. The idea of, of high-end craftsmanship and making pieces to the best of not only your ability, but the best of the ability of that piece of really elevating it to something more than just a piece of furniture is an amazing ideal to have. And it's an amazing way to run your business. But there also is that idea of 
having to run your business. And especially when you are a younger company and you don't have that track record, you can say all these things, but they they might just get drowned out by everybody else saying it. And sometimes it just comes down to price. And sometimes you need to work with the price to make the price better for the client. Is that something that you ever did? Or did you really just stick with your ideals from the very beginning and turn away clients that that wanted you to swerve away from those ideals? I'd like to say that I didn't, you know, ever turn down a client. As a as a younger business, for sure, I would be doing things that um, I don't do now. Like right now, I don't do anything in plywood. The only plywood we use here is the back of cabinets. That's not because there's anything inherently wrong with plywood. I personally just hate working with it. Um, and I think that I, I mean, I enjoy working with solid hardwood. I enjoy gluing up panels and milling them down and, and all that. So that's kind of a choice, but it's definitely more expensive for sure. And I could easily uh, go to a client and say, you could have this cabinet that's going to be solid hardwood for X number of, of dollars, or we could do a plywood carcass and it's going to be like $1,000 less. I could definitely do that. I think that because of the work I've done in my branding and really being sort of hard-headed about the quality thing, that that's my reputation. And now people are willing to pay more money for a higher quality product. And I, and I, it's a scary thing because when you're starting a business, you, you know, somebody like me might say that just trust yourself and, and it'll pay off. And for me, I, I didn't know, but I'm starting to really see the fruits of those labors. Like the, the $4,000 minimum is kind of a new thing, actually. You know, I, I used to have a minimum of like $2,000 or even when I started the business, my minimum was like $750. So that keeps climbing as um, my, I would say my reputation grows and my demand grows. So I, I really believe that if you, if you stick to your guns and you stick to your brand and you do really high quality work, then it's gonna it's gonna come back to you and, and pay dividends uh, in the long term because I think every everything you do comes back to you in some way the the good stuff and the bad stuff. You said when you were starting your business that you didn't even have a business plan and that was kind of a a throwaway line that you said, but it, it made it made it sound like you were not necessarily very involved in in that side of the business the the numbers side the accounting side that aspect of it but that's that's far from the truth i think that you even had some some quotes in the new york times about accounting and and how you're running your business can you talk on that aspect of of how you're actually running the behind the scenes numbers, keeping track of everything, keeping track of of what's coming in, what's going out, and how you're dealing with that on a day-to-day basis and on a year-to-year basis. Yeah. And part of the reason I didn't do a business plan initially was I had no data. I didn't know 
what people were going to willing to pay. I barely knew what material costs were. I barely knew what rent was going to be. Um, it just didn't seem like it was a good use of time yet. I have since definitely gone back. I think after year one, when I had a fair amount of sales and a fair amount of data, I could say, okay, this is what I expect to spend on materials. This is what I expect to, you know, this is what I know my rent is going to be. I have tools and investments I need to be making. Um, so I have definitely since since then done a much better job of like managing my finances. Um, I didn't have an accountant for about the first year. I would say definitely first year. I've since hired an accountant, um, which is super helpful because making sure you are legit, like you're paying your taxes on time and you have whatever business licenses you need, just somebody that you can ask questions to about your business specifically and not just trying to Google an answer. Um, it's not that expensive to get an accountant, like a small business accountant, and manages my books completely and make sure that my taxes, my sales tax is being paid, that I'm I'm stashing money for you know my quarterly taxes and all that stuff. Um, so I kind of I'm kind of hands off on that because I pay somebody to do it. But the the other stuff, the kind of I I I do like to project and and set goals for what I hope to accomplish each year. And after my first year, I sat down and I, and knowing kind of what I had to spend and what my, you know, what all my expenses were and what I was hoping to make as like maybe a take-home salary, you can say, okay, this is how many pieces I need to make. This is the price that they kind of need to be at. And these are the investments I can make, should make. And these are the ones that I maybe shouldn't make. Because my business is still fairly new, I've I've spent so much money just on like equipment, right? I mean, I, everybody starts out with like a contractor table saw, and then you realize you need a, a full size uh, saw stop, and you need a proper planer, and all those things because you're just going to destroy, you know, the the, the prosumer stuff. So, um, a lot of that stuff is is kind of non negotiable if you're trying to run a business. You have to, you can't think of those purchases as being expensive tools. You have to think of them as investments. And now that I have, I have one employee, I also have to make sure that that person gets paid and, and that we can keep them busy and, and all that stuff. So there's a fair amount of projecting. I project about a year in advance with goals and then I project quarterly so that I can kind of benchmark throughout the year to see how I'm doing. I saw that you have your phone number on your website. So I think that you're probably the perfect person to ask about this. It's a question that I get a lot. Should I put my business phone number on my website? Because the plus side is customers can reach out, people can call me directly, it makes me seem more legitimate. But the the downside is that people can call you whenever they want and you have to get back to them. And also, there's a lot of spam calls. There's a lot of, of robocalls, of electronic calls that you get. As somebody who does have their phone number on their website, talk us through the good and the bad parts of that. So more than anything, I think it gives you legitimacy in that if somebody wanted to call you, they could. Every business that I shop at would have a phone number. And if there wasn't, you just a little bit of trusty roads. 
and it's it might be minuscule but it's little things like that that add up so that's that was kind of always on my mind it's like i want to have a proper phone number and i want to have a google page with my address even if people don't come because it just gives a legitimacy um people are welcome to come to my address i mean there's it's a warehouse you're not going to see much here but clients do come sometimes but i don't actually get that many calls i get a lot of calls from you know what you're saying spam Yelp won't stop calling me trying to get me to advertise and, you know, all these other spam callers. But actually what I do is I have a Google number. And initially the reason I did that is because my cell phone is still from, I used to live in Pittsburgh 15 years ago, and it's still a 412 number. And I didn't want to use my 412 number for my business. So I got a Google, a local Google voice number that just redirects to my cell phone. And it's a great way of screening calls too, because uh, if somebody calls your number, it's gonna, because it's Google, they'll make you give your name. And if somebody's serious enough to call you and give their name, then it's probably gonna be worth my time to answer that phone call. I, I would say that most of my business, I mean, definitely most of my business comes just straight through my website, through either the form or an email directly to me. I get I don't know, maybe at one call every two weeks from a real potential client. You've been giving advice on the business and the personal side of running a furniture business for this entire episode. But I'm going to ask you again in the end here, if you could share some advice with people who might be like you jumping from a corporate job into starting their own furniture business or even people who have been doing it for a long time and feel stuck in their ways. What's some advice that you could share with people listening to help them become a better furniture company? Biggest thing for me, the biggest advice I give is 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 meet people and and find mentors and learn and don't be afraid, don't be too proud to not know what you're doing. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, everybody I've asked has been super helpful that you had Paul Mensel on your, on your podcast recently. And I talked to him before I even started the business and I met him through one of my old leadership coaches who gave me a lot of advice and was a really great support for me, but just talking to other business leaders that have done what you're trying to do. They're going to understand, they're going to be happy to talk to you, and they're going to give you a ton of great advice. And find those people and stay in contact with them and, and find more people and, and keep growing your network because that's how you're going to get through it and that's how you're going to learn and grow uh, efficiently and, and quickly if that's, if that's what you're looking for. Well, I want to thank you for being one of those people, one of those people who's giving advice, who's been there and who's also taking advice and continuing to learn as they build their company. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story. And I truly appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build with Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.